The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Ms. Meg. Well, guys, as always, at least recently always, we invite you to the book of Mark, the Gospel, chapter 16. And uh, as you turn there, if you're watching with us, or if you're on Facebook, or if you're listening to this later, we are actually going to be in Mark 16, 1 through 8. Uh, we had decided to go ahead, and, and I don't want to get into all the details, that'll be more next week. Uh, but if you're watching on Facebook, especially welcome and thank you. Always an encouragement if you can find a local church to find one in person if you are able physically and otherwise. But thank you for watching. But if you are uh, here, we are actually going to be preaching through the whole chapter of the book of Mark. For some of you, uh, academic seminary types, you're going to have questions. For others of you, next week, you're going to have some questions. So this week, though, Mark 16, 1 through 8, but we do plan to preach what is known as the long ending of Mark, and you say, oh, what is that? Well, guess what? You better be here next week, so come on down. Uh, we'll be glad to have you, but today, today's sermon title is The Difference a Day Makes. The Difference a Day Makes. You know, the pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contain, don't they, the mummified bodies of ancient Egyptian kings, probably the most famous being King Tut himself. Uh, and the pictures of these are up there, as you'll see on the screen, if your eyes are that good. Westminster Abbey, if everyone's been there, Aaron, you and I have been there before, brother, in London is renowned because it rests the bodies of English nobles and their notables. Muhammad's tomb, which you see in the bottom left of your screen, is noted for containing the body, or the bones at least, of Muhammad, of the Islamic religion. The Taj Mahal, my wife has been there. Has anyone else been to the Taj Mahal before? Any world travelers? No? That doesn't mean the Indian restaurant down the street either. So, um, was built as a memorial to one wife of one king a long time ago. That was a good present to get, for if you were that wife. And of course, more locally, Arlington Cemetery. Many of you have been there in Washington, D.C. is revered for most reasons, for the sacrifice and honor of the resting place of many outstanding Americans who gave their lives in the line of duty of service to our country. But the greatest tomb we know, the garden tomb in Jerusalem, and Lauren and Maisel, I know you've been there and several others have been there, uh, is famous not because of what in, is inside, but it's famous, isn't it, because it is now empty. Amen? And that's what we know. The life of our Lord is marked by a virgin's birth and an empty tomb. We bookend his life that way. He came into the world marked through a door, no entrance, and left with one marked, no exit. The best news the world has ever came came from a little place in Jerusalem, and it was simply that the tomb was empty. Revelation 1.18, as you'll see on the screen, I had to go back to the King James for this because I love this word. Jesus says, I am he that liveth. He lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of death and hell. Friends, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't just a thing we bring out based on the calendar whenever Easter falls. It is every Sunday. You've heard me say that numerous times. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Are you, are you in your Easter best today? We have a lot of pastel colors. Thank you, ladies, and, and uh, uh, for leading that pink charge. But if the resurrection doesn't take place, we have a false religion. 
If the resurrection does not exist, then your faith is absolutely worthless. The cradle plus the cross plus the resurrection equals your salvation. That's what we know. And what happened as a result of the resurrection is, is unprecedented in human history. In a span of a few hundred years, a small band of misfits literally turned the world upside down. America was colonized partly because people who believed in Jesus came over to get the freedom to express that faith in Jesus Christ. We know that as the Puritans. Because they were utterly convinced of what they saw, like their master, they too knew, the disciples, that they would rise from the grave in glorified, resurrected bodies. But in America, the Easter thing or the resurrection thing is so casual. But friends, the big idea today is simply this, is that no one, as you'll see on the screen, whoever encounters the living Christ will ever respond with casual worship. It doesn't happen. If you believe this Jesus, it changes everything about who you are. This is why, and I'm going to harp on this, I'm not against, we do an Easter outreach with Easter eggs and all that great stuff, but this is why we don't need to have a, a helicopter full of 50,000 eggs dropping from the sky to get people interested in Jesus Christ, because guess what? We can't do anything about that. We can point people to Christ, but it's God's work in their hearts that draws them to Christ. And so we worship a risen, victorious, sin-crushing Savior who died for you. Not only died, but was resurrected for you. And that has been the victory chant, folks, of the church for thousands of years. And in gathered worship today, we come to lay aside our idols to worship Him because He's the only resurrected one. So this morning, a familiar passage in October, when you least expect it. Because we should be looking towards the birth, right? We should be singing songs about the coming of Christ. Well, as we finish up Mark, the resurrection. I want to do something interesting, and this is not my usual sermon thing. We've done some of this before a bit, but I want to go over five things today. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to drive you crazy. And, and, and uh, Tori is probably going to drive you crazy, because this is going to be different. We're going to see how far we get. We will, we will preach the long ending next week, but I want to give you an overview of the passage, this, these eight verses, eight, nine verses. I want to give you three options for the resurrection. That's brief. I want to briefly show you three, uh, in point three, 11 theories that are false about the resurrection, and then give you some evidence for it, and then very simply apply it to our lives. We're going to do that in 40 minutes, and we can. So with that in mind, if you're able, will you stand together as we read this important passage from the early church, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. As we see Mark ending his gospel with perhaps the great, the, the great climax of Mark is in Mark 15 when Jesus says he's the Son of God, but here that he is risen indeed. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Hear God's word this morning. When the Sabbath was passed, the mother, uh, excuse me, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, Salome brought spices so that they might go ahead and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us as we go to the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, for it was very large. Verse 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. I think you would be too. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where he, they laid him. 
But verse 7, go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out, verse 8, and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I would be scared out of my wits end. I would be running and hiding in a bush somewhere, never to come out until I saw something else. What a scene this is. What an opportunity this is. And Mark gives us a very, as he does through his whole gospel, a very cliff note version, a very summary reader's digest version of what it is that happened that day. But what happened that day is Jesus arose. Amen. And that's what we know. Let's pray together. We'll unpack this passage and apply it as we go through this morning. Let's bow our heads together. Father, as we come before this so familiar passage, Father, one we know, we know how it ends. We could go home right away. But Father, I pray you give us wisdom in these details. You give us wisdom in what others have said about these details falsely. And you give us wisdom, Lord, in what your word says about these details truthfully and what that means for our lives. And Father, it means so much. Father, we know that nothing we have is ever greater than what you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you for standing as always, your weekly steps and your weekly exercise. Well, I want to give you an overview of this passage, and I, I, it's, it's very straightforward, but it's going to take just a moment to unpack. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at seven quick headings, and I mean them to be quick. And, uh, and Tori, I'll tell you as they come up. But first, I want you to see the extraordinary love of these women. Did you notice that? They went and bought spices. Now, now we remember this is at the end of the Sabbath. This is 6 p.m. on Saturday night. The Jews were known for the Sabbath. They were known for the, uh, the fourth commandment, which is the keeping of the Sabbath. And they knew that that was the only time they could go get spices. And you see there in verse 1 that as soon as it was over, they went and bought spices. As soon as it was over. As soon as they had opportunity, they were there. It's like those people who line up at a concert and they like camp out or, well, not a concert, but, you know, Black Friday, if that's even a thing for you anymore, the people who go out and put up a tent outside their store and they wait there and as soon as the doors open, they, they just rush in to get that thing that they save five bucks on and wasted 48 hours on, right? That's Black Friday in a nutshell. And so when the Sabbath was passed, they immediately went and bought spices, I want you to know that they bought spices at night, but they did not go to the grave at night. You can imagine what that was like. Friends, we're getting to that season. Let me be clear. Ghosts are not real. Did you hear that? Ghosts are not real. I don't care what the paranormal investigators say, but demons are real, right? Demons are real, and they can do all sorts of things that make it look like there's, there's like, woo, you know, all that stuff. But back as a first century Jew, walking at night was very, very dangerous. You saw things that you thought were not there or you thought were there. And so they come, Mary Magdalene, the one who, verse 9, if you go down to Mark 69, says that seven demons were cast out of. And these three ladies, these were the die-hard disciples. They saw him at the cross. You remember last week, they saw him be buried, and now they're the first ones there. And they bought spices. They made a costly purchase they gave everything they had, perhaps, in their yearly allowance to do this and because they knew that he had loved them so much and that his body needed to be taken care of, that they would give whatever it took for him. The question is, do we love Jesus like this? Are we willing, with such extraordinary love, to count the cost for what it means to follow him? 
and the deepest motivation in our hearts is not to be seen. It is to love Christ as these people came. You notice that. Notice, secondly, the early arrival. Did you see how early they came? These were not shift workers. These were not uh, grave uh, shift workers. They just got up early. Verse 2, and very early on the first day of the week. Now stop there. Do you remember when, when Jesus prayed, when he prayed often? Was it late at night or was it early in the morning? It was always early in the morning, wasn't it? Because he knew that was the time to commune with the Father. And so very early on the first day of the week, when the sun has risen, they went to the tomb. As soon as they could get out and they knew it might be partly safe, they wanted to get there to take care of Jesus. They got there early. And that's important because the other Gospels tell us they waited until Sunday. The sun had gone down. The sun had now come up. It's before 6 a.m. It's at dawn, at dawn time-ish. Uh, and they don't have the weights around their ankles of, of, of being scared. They just go to the tomb. They get there early. And they find the question, and we'll get to verse 3 in just a second, but they got there early. Their love for Jesus propelled them to get there as early as they could. Now, that's a whole sermon you could chase right there. But I want you to know that they cared enough that they didn't wait any last minute to serve Jesus, but they did it right away. Notice Verse 3, the emboldened faith that they had. Notice the faith that they had. And it says, and they were saying to one another, can you hear that conversation? Who will roll away the tomb for us at the entrance of the tomb? These ladies, as willing and as they were to get up early and as loving as they were to take care of the body of Jesus, knew that they weren't sufficient themselves to roll away that stone. And so can you imagine walking through and thinking, can we even get in? Is there going to be a guard there? Is there going to be someone there that's going to let us in, or will they shoo us away? Will we be able to move it if no one's there? And so they get there, and, 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 and you've got to think that at some point they're like us. Their tendency is to go from bad to worse, right? Well, if this happens, then I'm going to have this happen. And if that happens, then this happens. And that happens, then this happens. We always play the worst-case scenario that often never comes true. So notice verse 4. He tells them very easily what happened in Mark. And as soon as they were having this conversation, as they get up to the mountain, as, as it, and you notice there, verse 4, and as they were looking up, as they were looking up, to where you can put this open, number 4, the entrance was opened, they saw something they were not prepared to see. They saw something very clearly they were not prepared to see. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. What would you have been thinking? Honestly, if, we, if you were honest and, and, and rational, you would have said to yourself, they, someone took the body, right? Someone ran away and took the body. They didn't want the story of, of, of resurrection to happen, so they ran off with the body. It was too large for this woman, these women to move, even the men to move. It took a number of people to move it. But Matthew 28, 2 and 3, the parallel account here says that a severe earthquake hit. Do you remember that part of the story? We won't go there, but a severe earthquake had hit. It was sent by God to take care of it. God often sent earthquakes. It happened at the Ten Commandments. It happened when uh, uh, Dothan's rebellion in, in Numbers. It happens at the last days in the book of Acts when they prayed an earthquake came. This is what God does sometimes. And even in, in, in Oklahoma, Missouri, we feel them time to time, don't we? But God often sends earthquakes. And, and Matthew 28 says that an angel rolled it away with his own hands. There was a supernatural power to get that rock moving, to get it out of the way. 
So the lady's worries were actually answered by another supernatural miracle. And it wasn't to let Jesus out, but it was to let the world in. He appeared to the disciples. He walked through a wall. Jesus could have done that. Tell I, Well, I'm being sci-fi here. Jesus could have just appeared in another place, right? He did so often. So he didn't need the stone rolled away. But God makes a way where there is no way. Their worst worry turned into their greatest rejoicing, didn't it? Verse 5. You notice the empty tomb. Verse 5, the empty tomb. And it says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man. Again, I would be freaked out right there. You enter, and there's a guy. Whoa, yo, what are you doing? It's like when you walk around the corner, and someone doesn't mean to scare you, but they do. And they walk in this empty tomb, and there's a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, we know that these tombs were uh, large when you first entered. It's like you walk into a, a, almost a foyer or a vestibule, and, and then you'd go into the, the smaller chamber. So they walk into the larger part. They see this happen, and they saw the young man inside the inner burial chamber, right where Jesus was buried. He's wearing a white robe. Now, we know these from other accounts. Please don't let liberals turn the Bible on its head because it's so detailed here. We know from Luke and Matthew that these were angels. There were two of them, and Mark records one of them. Well, why didn't he say both? Well, that's just what he says. Two angels doesn't mean there wasn't two. You know what? Uh, I bet if you all retold the story, some of you all, uh, September 30th, 2014, you Royals fans, you know that night like it was the back of your hand. The Oakland A's were whooping us from one side of the road to the other, and then the Royals come storming back. And storming back, and, and they finally win the game, don't they? You remember that, some of y'all? Some of y'all slept a few years since then, but you remember the game. And you may not remember when the turn was here or the turn was there, but you know the end result was the same. And in the same way here, whether Mark records two angels or one, what he says is, is that he was wearing a white robe. It was heavenly in its origin. It was different than everybody else. And they were amazed literally alarmed, or they were dumbfounded, they were overwhelmed, they were stunned. How could this be? Am I dreaming? It's early in the morning after all. Is this really happening? But notice what he says there in verse 6, the emphatic message. Notice what he clearly says, the angel. And he says, and he said to them, do not be alarmed, do not be dumbfounded, do not be overwhelmed, do not be stunned, whichever way you want to take it. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. You're looking for Jesus. Now, what, else do you, what else do you need to see? You, you Go look for yourself. He's won the victory. Here's the place they laid him. Go look. Go see. Isn't it like Thomas who said, I won't believe until I see the, the nail piercings, and Jesus says, oh, you want to touch it? Go right ahead, buddy. Go, go put your hand right in there. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Friends, John tells us, this was in the inner chamber, and that the linen cloths were folded neatly like he's making his bed. Jesus was not your average man, ladies. He was the God man, and he folded his laundry and made his bed before he busted out of the grave. <laughs> Jesus is in the resurrection, and he folded it up and put it in the right place. All other religious leaders have died. Muhammad, Confucius, Brigham Young, Mary Baker Eddy. But Jesus Christ died and has risen from the dead. 
And, and Tori, you can put up that next point if you will. Actually, the next two would finish that slide. And notice what verse 7, he tells them what to do, but go. Don't worry about how all the details right now. Just go. Go into the empty tomb and go tell his disciples. And you notice that key word right there, don't you? But go tell the disciples and tell who? Peter. Why is that important? Because Peter denied him, didn't he? He needed to be restored to Christ. And he lists, lists Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Jesus had already told them to go. He tells them again in Galilee to go ye therefore into all the nations and make uh, disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And friends, he tells them, there you will see him just as I told you. The message is still the same. What is the power tower view that makes us go forward as Christians? It is the gospel message. This is it. You have a risen Savior. You have a risen Savior. Get that clear. What makes the gospel go forth in Africa? What makes the gospel go forth in South America? It's not gimmicks. It's this. We have a risen Savior. Then why do so many people, you ever thought about that? If you're on Facebook, would you just raise, I don't usually do participation polls during the sermon. If you're on Facebook, would you just kind of raise your hand for a minute? You all know around Easter time, there are people who never put any other religious message on their, their, their Facebook page will all of a sudden say, he's risen, he's risen indeed. Because the culture tells them that that's the day they're supposed to do that. Why are we so informed by our culture and instead of the church informing the culture? Friends, we don't have to wait once a year to proclaim this. It's already happening. It's out there. How, why do we have a message greater than Islam? We have a message greater than Islam because Jesus lives. Why do we have a message greater than that of Joseph Smith and the Mormons? Because our Savior isn't some God of a God of a God. He is God, and he saves us from our sins. We have the message. We have the cure. But I want you to see the exciting ending here in verse 8. You know how this goes. They went out and fled from the tomb. They did what Scooby-Doo and Shaggy would do when they saw those scary people in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in those episodes long ago. You remember that show? Our kids are getting into that, and they ran away. And they made those 1969 cool sound effects that they did. They got out of town. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. You notice, and Mark hits this very clearly, they went out trembling. They were scared, but they were also astonished at the same time. Isn't that the picture of someone coming to know Jesus? They're trembling because they realize they've offended the Holy of Holies, but they're excited because they know they're part of his group. They go out. They go out exciting. They go out with this ending that's so exciting. And they said nothing to anyone. Did you notice that? For they were afraid. They were afraid of what might happen. Now we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know that they go and tell the disciples. And one of the disciples say, oh, you ladies are crazy. What are you talking about? You're nuts. You've been around those spies. You've been taking those spies a little too far, haven't you? But it happened. But friends... You know this message. But I want to tell you, there's a world out there that doesn't believe this message. Tori, if you would, just put up these three things quickly. So there are only three. You can put them all up, all the way down to number three. There are three things you can view this as. And if you're, I think we're among believers here today, but if you're not a Christian especially, I want to encourage you with this. If you are a Christian, I want to remind you of where you come from. There are three options. This is either a fiction, it's fiction or a hoax. It, when we approach this, this is 
Jesus didn't rise from the dead. They fabricated a lie. They pulled off some of the best hoax, if not the greatest hoax of all time. It's just a hoax. Or secondly, it's fiction. It's mythology. The story, you know, it's like that fish story. You know those, don't you? Well, Grandpa caught a fish this big, and the time Grandpa's 80 years old, it gets this big on the wall, right? The fish story grows. Or I used to bench 150 pounds, and by the time you die, it's, man, I benched 150 pounds with my pinky finger, and I pushed another 50, 500 pounds with my left arm on this side. You know, that's how it grows. Some people believe that about this story, that it grew and grew and grew, and we added details and details and details and details and details and details. Friends, that's how the cults work. Did you know that? Because the cults get called out all the time for their falsehoods. But that's what it is. Or it's true. Or it's true. It can't be all three. Please believe me. There are churches today who will tell you that it just is a big story and it makes you feel good inside. Therefore, believe it. Friends, that's great. Motivational messages have their place, right? But if this did not happen, go home. Why are you here? The Chiefs game starts in... Uh, approximately 38 minutes. So get home and get your rod or whatever you got. Go home. But I'd like to think, and I believe the Bible says very clearly, it's option number three. This actually happened. Amen? This is not false. This is not a made-up story. But I want you to hear once again, even if you've heard these before, I want you to hear how ludicrous this gets when people try to explain this away. Tori, if you just want to go to the next slide and put up all the points on that slide, that'd be great. I'm just going to explain them quickly. There are so many theories. Can you believe this? People will come up and first off say there's the swoon theory. We've talked about this in recent weeks, haven't we? That Jesus suddenly didn't die. He just he they threw him in the grave, and because it was cool and damp, like a fifty degree cave, he he suddenly got resurrected himself. He he came back. He wasn't dead, but he just got to the point where he realized that he could no longer stay in there and he moved the thing himself, because that's possible. Guys, that's crazy. That's like someone busting out of a prison and trying to break down the prison walls with their bare hands. So they try and explain it that way. Then comes the spirit theory. This is where Jehovah's Witnesses or Jehovah's Witnesses friends come along. They teach that Jesus was created by God as the archangel Michael and following his death that God raised him up spiritually and he physically just kind of vanished off like you'd erase something on a word processing machine. How does that work? How about number three, the hallucination theory? It was 1969 Woodstock back there in 33 AD, let me tell you. Puff the Magic Dragon had nothing on this theory because they say, some people believe and some people teach, that this actually happened in a way that Jesus, like a magician, put a little sensor in their minds and he snapped his finger. And when he snapped his finger on the cross, they immediately believed that the resurrection was a hallucination. And they lived out that lie for the rest of their lives. Wow. How about the vision theory? The disciples saw things that didn't actually happen, number four, and they thought them to be true. And they made lies out of it that became truth. Or how about number five? And this is something that we've kind of talked about, the myth theory. This is the earliest theory around that somehow they made this great inspirational story about Jesus. People really liked it. And it became what we now know as the resurrection, some people say. Okay, are you just shaking your head at this stuff? It's crazy. Or what about this? The stolen body theory. This goes back to Matthew 28, doesn't it? Which says his disciples 
Uh, the Jewish leader said to lie and say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while they were sleeping. Well, if they stole the body, why can't they produce the body? Do you ever think about that? All you got to do is show us the body and we would stop believing if it's a lie. But they never could. Oh, and this one's great too. Man, you know, Joseph of Arimathea, that rich guy who gave him his, 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 uh, his tomb to use. Oh, the disciples and the ladies just had the wrong tomb. Because, you know, those ladies didn't have any idea what they were doing, so they just must have mistaked where that, that tomb was. Really? Have you ever met someone whose family member has died and asked them if they've forgotten the place where they were buried? Now, you may have a lapse of judgment if it's been a while. I see that. But so quickly, right away, I don't think so, guys. It takes more faith to believe in these falsehoods than it does simply to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? Let me give you three more, four more. And, and Tori, same thing. You just want to put them up there. I go through these guys because I want to show you how ridiculous this gets. So, and then number eight, because the disciples were the best businessmen ever, they made up a story to sell to make money off Jesus and live rich and comfortable lives the rest of their lives. Oh, that worked out really well for them. John got on an island of Patmos, and the others got beheaded or killed or stoned to death. That, that money-making venture went really well, didn't it? This, this number nine, by the way, is the most recent of these. In 1995, uh, a debate between a Christian and a philosopher named Robert Cavan. Robert Cavan had the gall to say during this debate that, I can't prove to you that Jesus didn't come back, but I'm pretty sure he had an identical twin. And because he had an identical twin, one of them died on the cross, and the other one popped out and said, look, I'm him. I'm Jesus. I'm back. And he lived, and he married Mary Magdalene, and they had kids, and that, that became known as the uh, uh, whatever that book was 13 years ago that was a bad movie, a bad book that came out. Yes, the Da Vinci Code. Thank you, brother. Isn't this just nuts? And how about the final one, the Muslim theory? Muslims have long believed that Jesus did not die on the cross. They reject that. And so they say that either Judas or Pilate or Simon of Cyrene or even one of the disciples actually died in the place of Jesus and acted like Jesus after, uh, or one of them switched out with Jesus and then acted like him on the cross. Because that makes a whole lot of sense. Friends, you either believe it or you don't. Isn't this crazy? I mean, believe this stuff. It's just like this. Look, we don't have to believe that, except what is written in this book. Do you believe that? This is it. He rose from the grave. Let me give you some possible things otherwise. The actual evidence that came to bear. And, uh, Tori, again, if you just want to put up what's on the slide all the way down just for note-taking purposes for those taking notes. So what do we know? Here are the evidences for the resurrection. The evidence is for the resurrection themselves. We know that Jesus died on a Roman cross by crucifixion. We know he was buried not too far from where he died. We know that his death threw the disciples into a, a period of despair and despondency where they questioned everything they'd gone through. We know that Jesus' tomb was discovered to be empty shortly after his burial. We know the disciples then also had a real and genuine experience that convinced them beyond doubt that it wasn't a hallucination that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. We know that these radically changed their lives so much that they were willing to die for him and go and give their life. 
We know that the message of Jesus has been the same message from the very beginning. We know it has not changed. We know that the gospel was preached in Jerusalem, and the very first thing they said was that he's risen from the dead, and they went and got arrested right away. We know that Sunday, not Saturday, became the worship for the church during the resurrection of Jesus. We know that James, the half-brother of Jesus, who thought he was nuts, who wanted to throw him off a cliff with some of the locals, actually became one of the greatest followers and one of the first deaths in Christianity. We know, of course, Saul, the greatest persecutor of the time of Christianity, gave his life to become a Christian. So, friends, these are things that, and I'm just going to bullet list these. I won't have time to explain them all. These theories that you just heard about are failures. None of them explain anything that we just talked about and said. The radical change in the disciples' lives cannot be argued. The empty tomb and the discarded grave clothes cannot be proved otherwise unless it actually happened. Fourthly, women saw it first. Women, we said this, we love you, but back then to put a woman up top in, in, in your passage was like, uh, well, it's like having Mike Tyson write your biography. Or, or having uh, Bernie Madoff tell you that you have good character, or whatever person you can think of the opposite side of whatever is bad and immoral in our society vouching for you on the witness stand. That's what women were thought of during that day. But women, you were the first ones written about in all the Gospels that saw Jesus Christ. Amen? And the day of worship has changed. We don't worship on Saturday. We worship on Sunday because that's when Jesus Christ rose from the these changes alone are huge enough. Tori, you can go to the next slide. I know you had it up. You want to go 6 through 11. So what else? What else does this mean for us? It also means, and I'll put these up quickly, that mass hallucinations don't just happen. They occur personally and individually. If you were at Woodstock in 1969, good for you, but I doubt you had the same experience as the guy next to you if he really went to that experience. And Jesus appeared to over 500 witnesses. Really? And it's interesting that he appeared uh, in rooms. He appeared on shorelines. He appeared on mountains. He appeared at all different places. And he appeared all over the place. People vouched for him, gave their life for it. Isn't it interesting that it was 50 days before they started preaching the end of Christ returning to heaven? They started preaching the resurrection. Why didn't they go out right away? Because God told them not to. One of the greatest evidences we have is that they were obedient to the very words God said. Wait for the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, and then go preach. Again, number nine, the Jews and the Romans never disproved it. Do you think some burly fishermen could take on some green beret types of the Romans and take down the tomb? I don't think so, guys. No money could have done it. Nothing else could have done it. Number 10, James and Paul skeptics were saved. They were saved. And the morals of the witnesses, they had nothing to prove, they had everything to lose. Why write about this if it isn't true? You know, some, some History Channel people will come back and say, you know, well, maybe they changed the Bible later on, and maybe they added stuff to make it look like he actually came back. Hogwash. That's a theological word and a Greek word at the same time. <laughs> if they did that, then they would have done so at the very peril of their lives because the disciples probably would have wrung their necks as well because they knew what they told these people to write down. And if they had changed that story, there would have been no, they would have taken care of it right away. And we have reliable eyewitnesses for this. We not have only secular sources we don't have time to get into. We have 
people who have, again, no standing within society. We have people who have standing within society saying, this man came back from the dead. So church, when you come on a Sunday morning, what does this mean for you? Tori, we're going to close with this. This means simply this. That you, and Tori, just go ahead and throw them up there if you would. You have the opportunity to come and worship a risen Savior. What is exciting about a Sunday morning? Why do you come? Why do you come to Tower View? Why are you here? I pray the greatest reason you're here is because Jesus Christ lives forever. The greatest reason you, you pray during the week is because Jesus Christ lives forever. The greatest reason you do anything is because Jesus Christ prays forever. I don't know what's going on with PowerPoint. It needs some resurrection itself, apparently. <laughs> but you can figure it out. I don't know. But guys, I want to tell you, as we go forward as a church, this message cannot get old to you. This message cannot get old to you at all. It is the message of Christianity. This is it. I will close with this. I remember giving a, a defense in my young years at, at, at William Jewell at my last speech, the senior speech, and I think I shared this before, but I remember giving, it was about the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. Had to get approval through the president of the college even to do it because it was a religious topic and it took all the signs and all, all the signs up. I, I'd already been laughed at behind my back. It's not about my shame, just telling you the context got up there, presented the basic evidence, and I got my lowest grades ever because the, the results were this. One man, and uh, he's no longer a professor there, he was a young man there, he's a theater tech guy, still lives in the area, said, I cannot give you any higher than a D because if I give you any higher than a D, I would have to live by the things you said, and I don't believe it's true. It wasn't the evidence that was insufficient for him. It was the standard that Christ called him to. People don't need more evidence, friends. They just need to know that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. They need to know that he is the resurrected Lord, and they need to know that he's coming back again. And as we sang that song, they will look at him now and mock him and laugh at him, but what we know is he has done it. It's sealed. We're good to go. That is our safest safeguard. If they were to tear down this church for us being Christians one day, that doesn't change the message. If they were to throw you in prison, it doesn't change the message. It is that he has risen, he has risen indeed, and he's coming back again. It's never going to be popular. It's never going to be mainstream. It's never going to be friends with the world. It's always anti-cultural, and the people who say they believe it and live it out are always going to be greater than those who actually do. But for those who get it, it's life changing. It changes your marriage. It changes how you parent, even though you may mess those up in one way or another. It changes how you do your job. It changes how you relate to other people. It changes what you think about the future. It changes how you go to bed at night because he lives. It all is different in my mind. Because he lives, I am able to take each step and say, Lord, you got this because you got me way back then and you're not letting me go now. That is what we have. It gives confidence for missions because we go out not to prove that he's resurrected. I mean, think about this. How do the people in the jungle who've never seen the resurrected Lord believe in the same Jesus you do? They believe in him because God's spirit has changed their heart to believe that truth. It wasn't because of evidence. It wasn't because of argument. It was because they know something is different because he lives. Church, our greatest mission is to take that wherever we go. He lives indeed. 
Those ladies ran out, not sure what to do with what happened. And the next thing they know, Jesus comes back and says, here I am. And he says the same thing to us today. We can never casually worship this Jesus if we truly know this Jesus. Let's bow our heads this morning as we close and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Father, as we come before you, we come knowing very truthfully, Lord, that you are the Lord of lords and the King of